Yo, what's going on? It's your boy Adibara Kimfemba, aka the Beast. First and foremost, I got a big up Zach and Adam on their EPL podcast in the USA. Fifty shows and still going on strong. Let me say that for the people in the back. I'm bigging up Zach and Adam. You hear me? Also, man's got to big up the Force Nines podcast on SB Nation. Um, supposedly, word on the street is way better than CHN Radio. That's the word on the street. So, you know what I'm saying? I can't confirm or deny. I'm just going on from the word on the street. This is booked by Adam, in it? So, make sure you show Adam love. Zach and Adam. You get me? All right, listen. Keep it beast mode. Stay locked in. Peace and love. Take care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 50th, let me say it one more time for the people in the back, the 50th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing tonight? Footy, Zach. Adebayo Akin Fenwa Footy. The absolute beast introing us in tonight. Thank you, friend of the pod, our special guest, our our long-awaited special guest, Adebayo Akinfenwa, champion of League One. It's a pleasure to have you on the pod today. It's the first time that we've ever talked about Wickham on the pod as well. So Wickham Wanderers, good luck in the championship next season. Yes, absolutely. So, so happy to be here tonight. The 50th episode, I truly, truly, truly can say that when I when this podcast was started a couple of years ago, I genuinely wondered if it was ever going to get to 10 episodes. So to be here, <laughs> to be doing it at 50, uh, to have such an anointed, uh, prestigious lineup of Adebayo, Akin Fenwa, and, and now you, Adam Goffin, two Brits, two uh, people from the aisles on the pod tonight. It's It's just an honor. Yeah, I've been working out as well. I'm going to try and see if I can get that same frame going as he has. He's, we're about the same age as well, Zach, so it's pretty great. Exactly. It's perfect. It's written in the stars. Uh, so we <laughs> we have a very, very fun and special episode for you tonight. This is an episode that Adam and I both enjoyed doing last season um, and are going to enjoy even more this season. Uh, and that is the False Nine's official end-of-season awards episode. So, as you know, um, the Premier League gives out awards at the end of every season, and we will essentially be doing the same. The only difference is uh, we have come up with a few more unorthodox categories that um, expand the the list of award winners um, a bit broader than what the Premier League and Richard Masters gives out every year. Mm, Uh, Richard Masters. Mm. excited for this one adam excited for this one let's keep the spirits high even if i've i've mentioned he who shall not be named so early (laughs) in the podcast (laughs) awesome looking forward to it there's some good categories here too so some some surprising interesting twists on categories as well that I'm, i'm looking forward to yeah all right well if uh if you want to kick it off without any further ado shall we get right into it adam do you have anything more before we jump in no, I don't think so. Let's get right into it, Zach. All right, so let's uh, let's start this off with uh, our first question, our first award. Adam, signing of the season. So a player that was 
uh, brought into his respected Premier League club either in the last summer, which seems like 10 years ago, or in <laughs> January. Signing of the season, who did you pick for this one? Well, for me, when I think about this category, I think about players that have come in and made an impact not just from a team standpoint, but also in terms of the way that they've helped elevate and get additional points for their teams. And I've picked Bruno Fernandes. Um, I know he was a signing in January. He wasn't somebody that played a full season, but fantastic signing for Manchester United. And really, I think you could argue that he saved Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job. Bringing him in in that number 10 role, having that front four along with Rashford, Greenwood, and Martial um, has really completely transformed the dynamic of the attack of Manchester United. He's a £47 million signing. There's up to £69 million British pounds with add-ons based on how he performs as well. And in his time at Ma in Manchester so far in the Premier League, 14 matches, 8 goals, 7 assists. 7 assists since January. This is a guy that potentially could compete with Kevin De Bruyne on the assist front next season. And for me, the other the other thing I'd add about Bruno Fernandes, Manchester United was having problems with penalty kicks. They were missing them. Rashford yep. was missing them. Pogba was missing them. In comes Bruno Fernandes. What problem? No more problems from the penalty spot for United, and they earn a shit ton of them too. Bruno Fernandes for me. I I have the same person written down, Adam. I, I think that Bruno Fernandes runs away with this award. Um, uh, the, the impact that he had on that side uh, was quite remarkable i don't think that man united gets a, pre a champions league spot um without him i don't think they even come remotely close and yeah i think you covered it there's not much more to say bruno fernandez one of the best second halves of any january signing in premier league history and the reason that i will not say that it is the best second half of any january signing premier league history is because of a man named poppy cc however bruno fernandez <laughs> Great year, um, and very excited to see what he does going forward. So uh, from signing of the season to um, maybe a player that was kind of under the radar going into this year, Adam, uh, breakout star of the season. So really no restriction on this one. It could even be a player 50 th or 35 years of age who just had his first big year. But who would you pick for your breakout player this season in the Premier League? Yeah, I did go with youth on this one. I actually picked a uh, from the other side of Manchester here. I went with Phil Foden. Um, I think there was a lot of pressure on him. He'd been wrapped in cotton wool a little bit by Pep prior to this past season. He's only 20 years old, and I think obviously with David Silva gone now, him coming through, he's a natural replacement for him. This season, Phil Foden, 23 starts in the Premier League, five goals and two assists, and especially post-COVID break, I thought he was one of the, the players to watch. So Phil Foden, I think, will be a force in the Premier League for many years to come, and is who I've picked for my breakout star. Yeah, so so we're actually running along similar parallels right now because I I was between two players, one of which was Phil Foden for this one. Uh, but I went with um, Kaglar Soyanchu. Um, obviously, you know my affinity for Leicester runs deep, but I think even from uh, an objective, uh, I am or I or a subjective point of view, which I am a subjective point of view. I'm not actually a Leicester fan. Um, I think Soyanchu had a fantastic year. Um, the, the Turkish young center back really led that line for uh, Leicester and was able to to really put that team in a position to, uh, at, at first, it looked like win a Champions League place. Unfortunately, they 
fell just a bit short. But um, yeah, a lot of plaudits were thrown his way. And I, I think that he um, brought about a confidence that you don't usually see in a young center back. It usually comes from kind of being under the tutelage of a more veteran center back. But I thought you saw that kind of almost like Nemanja Vidic-like intensity in Soyuncu's eyes every time he played. And that's what you want out of the, the center of your defense. A couple of thoughts about Soyan Chu. The, the first one is credit to him because when Leicester sold Harry Maguire, everybody thought that that defense was going to fall apart. And Soyan Chu was nowhere near the um, the value of Harry Maguire in terms of the signing that they made for him. And he came in and he did, I would say, pretty comparable job, if if not slightly better than I think Harry Maguire yeah. did. Um, so credit, credit to him on that. I would say the one blemish in his copybook for this season was that needless, petulant red card at the end of the season. Correct. But I think he's young, and I think he learns from that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think that that is a learning curve, but, um, yeah, that was not a good moment at all. Um, okay, all right. Well, from from players to moments, we'll, we'll go here. And specifically, you know, the moment that everybody watches soccer matches to see is a goal. So, Adam, a lot of good goals this season in the Premier League. I'm, I'm curious, what is your pick for Premier League goal of the season? Well, Zach, I was torn between two, and I won't say the other one in case you pick it, but the one I went for was actually a goal against our beloved Newcastle, and it was Kevin De Bruyne. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, that, that game was full of fantastic goals. Um, he chested it down on the edge of the box, Right foot half volley. I love the goals that ping off the underside of the crossbar. Remind me of Tony Yaboa back in the day for Leeds. Nobody does it better than De Bruyne for me. He's just he's world class, and, and that was my favorite goal of the season. I can't believe it, Adam. You and I running hand in hand so far through this awards list. <laughs> Ke- Kev- you got to go first here, Zach, so you can so you can get ahead of me on these. Kevin Kevin De Bruyne's goal against Newcastle was also my pick for goal of the season. Uh, man, I like you said, it's tough to pick a goal scored against your side, but that's one of those where you have to just applaud uh, the moment. Everything about that goal, from the chest down to the, the way in which he struck that ball, just pure and perfect technique, something that, you know, you, you you could try a million times and probably never get it as sweet as he got it. And that I think that goal cemented his player. I think that goal cemented him as player of the season for the Premier League. I Obviously, you and I might be naming our respective players of the season, but um, I think that was the moment that everybody kind of understood the the talent level that Kevin De Bruyne has. Yeah, he's he's unreal. The the other goals that I, I want to give honorable mentions to were first Young Min Son, where he ran the ball from kind of really Against his, his own penalty area. Yep, exactly, all the way through. Just in, incredible pace, incredible control, and a tidy finish as well against Nick Pope, who's a good keeper. And then the other one, Harvey Barnes. I actually don't remember mm. who he scored it for, but that was a rocket of a oh. shot that he just like fl- that flew past the goalkeeper and really put him on the map this season. Another person you could make a, a case for as maybe being a breakout star this season, Harvey Barnes for Leicester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if, if you're... If your favorite thing to see is a, a nice bar down finish, my favorite thing to see is a perfectly struck half volley, which is exactly what that was. That perfect ball just bounces, and I, I don't think I've ever seen a ball hit as hard as Harvey Barnes hit that ball. Um, he put his he put his foot through it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you could have had a hundred goalkeepers on the line, and there's no way that goal is being stopped. But no, I, I like those honorable mentions for for goal of the season. 
Cool. Well, I'll pivot over to you, Zach, then. Um, give you a chance to go first here so we're not necessarily repeating ourselves. Our next award is for Young Player of the Season. And, and really the way we're defining that is just the way the Premier League does. The player has to be 23 or younger at the start of the season, which, as we know, was a long time ago. Who's your shout for Young Player of the Season, Zach? Well, Adam, there's one player who stuck out to me for Young Player of the Season who is nowhere near 23 years of age. And that would be Christian Pulisic. I think that Pul- I think that Pulisic. I mean, if if I deny a, a bias towards Leicester, I will never deny a bias towards a homegrown American player. But I, I think Pulisic had a quite outstanding and astonishing year, especially considering the injuries that he battled through and the fact that he really, it seemed until the end of the season, maybe the last three or four games, was not a guaranteed name on that team sheet. So Pulisic ending his season with nine goals and six assists in 19 starts. Um, He played a total of 26 matches, but only 19 of those were starts. Um, And then even more recently, four goals, four assists, and seven starts after the restart. Um, I just think the way in which he grew as a player as the season progressed, and and credit has to be given to Frank Lampard for managing him in a way to kind of grow that motivation and grow that drive. Um, But also the fact that those four goals and four assists, um, putting him certainly in the conversation for best player since the restart came as he was recovering from a torn uh, abductor muscle injury that kept him out um, uh, all through most of January, February, and March um, in the way in which he got back onto the field and was just hungry and ready to go and ready to compete. I think that Christian Pulisic deserves young player this season. You made some good points there and there's definitely no bias there with obviously you being an American as well, right? I openly admitted that bias, so I will openly admit it one more time. (laughs) All right, well, I'm going to go with um, a little bit of bias on my side. I'm going to pick David Brooks. No, I'm just kidding. My young player of the season (laughs) this season is Trent Alexander-Arnold. 38 games, four goals, 13 assists. Are you kidding me? Second highest in the Premier League behind Kevin De Bruyne. For me, the best right back in the world right now and probably the greatest right back in the Premier League since Warren Barton, I'd say, Zach. I, I would say so, and I would say that uh, I, I'll, I'll let our listeners understand that that the the Pulisic, the Pulisic choice was a bit tongue in cheek because there's no feasible argument to say that Trent Alexander Arnold does not win this award, but but yeah, I'd say that he is you know he's on that path to becoming the next Warren Barton. Yeah, another player I thought of maybe going for here. I don't think he did enough though. Was Mason Mount? I thought Mason Mount mm-hmm. had a really, really good season as well. Breakthrough year for him. Yeah, um, I, th- I guess Grealish, in my opinion, would get an honorable mention. Uh, but actually, he was he twenty three when this season began. No, he was he was nominated for the Young Player of the season. He, he was. In the I, League, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Grealish's honorable mention. I don't think Grealish comes anywhere close to the award, but. Um, no, I think that Alexander Arnold, without a doubt, without a semblance of doubt, is the winner of that award. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'll give you another opportunity here to go for a sec. Underappreciated. Oh, I was excited about this season. one. I was excited yeah, about this one. You could you could kind of take this many, many ways. Underappreciated at a big club, successful club, underappreciated at a lower club. Who did you choose for this? I'm curious. Okay, so if we picked the same person here, Adam, I... 
I think that we will have to figure out if we can just morph into one human because there's no way that <laughs> this would be a shocking one. So um, I went with a player from a club that really overperformed expectations this season, but it was not the player to really get the majority of the plaudits. And that is Chris Basham, the center back for Sheffield United. Um, I, you know, when, when you talk about Sheffield's season, which was a fantastic year, you're always going to talk about Dean Henderson after the performances that he put out, the way in which he put himself like firmly in the conversation for the England number one spot. Uh, but I think Basham deserves all the credit in the world as well. He's a, uh, a lifetime uh, Sheffield United player. He's the longest serving player uh, currently on the club. He's the captain of the club, and he also won player of the season for this past season. So really showing you that uh, in in the mind of uh, Sheffield United supporters and employees, he, he's the one who really drives that team forward. And I found out today, Adam, when reading the Athletic article about him, he has one of the best nicknames that I've ever seen for a Premier League <laughs> player uh, in the spirit of a legendary uh, center back who was known for his marauding runs forward. Apparently, Sheffield United supporters refer to Chris Basham as Basham Bauer, which is just an absolutely <laughs> dynamite nickname to honor Franz Beckenbauer, the iconic German center back. That's fantastic. Yep, I, I certainly don't have the same player as you, so you can rest easy in that. But Basham had a great season. You're absolutely right. Defensively, Sheffield United, just as a team, did really, really great. Fell off, I think, a little bit after the restart. I think that kind of really grounded them from a momentum standpoint. But they finished the season strong. And, you know, if, you, if you'd offered them a top 10 finish, you know, at the start of the season, they would have definitely taken it. So, so wonderful, wonderful season for Sheffield United. And as you know, I'm a big Chris Wilder fan, too. So excited to see what they'll, they'll come up with next season, too. As am I. All right, Adam, who do you have for me today? I'm excited. Uh, I picked somebody who is a little on the older side, so underappreciated in the sense that necessarily he doesn't play in every game, but can always be relied on to come in and do a job for his team. That player I picked was Olivier Giroud. Mm. He played 18 games this season, scored eight goals. Um, as you know, Tammy Abraham started the season just at the races, couldn't stop scoring. And then he had that little bit of a blip in form midway through the season. And what did Lampard do? He reverted and he kind of pulled, pulled in Olivier Giroud, his trusted striker. He's been there, done that, got the T-shirt World Cup winner, came in. And he scored eight goals in 18 games. And it's not always super fancy with him. He's not always the goal scorer. What he does, though, is he also does everything he can to help the team win. When France won the World Cup, it wasn't he wasn't banging in 5 to 10 goals. He was in there, he was holding up the ball, he was helping his teammates. If you think back to the FA Cup final, that beautiful assist inside the box to Pulisic. Oh yeah. Could have easily taken a crack himself if he'd wanted to and maybe not scored that chance, but put it to Pulisic and a, and a wonderful goal there. I just feel like Giroud doesn't get the credit that he deserves um and is definitely an underrated striker at Chelsea and I think through his whole career too. So I decided to give the, the nod to him on that one. I love that, Adam. I feel like there, there's there been a number of instances where you kind of put down my enthusiasm for Olivier Giroud. So I'm, I'm glad to see that you've you've joined the light side. I, I love Olivier Giroud and I think that's a great shout. I think every point you made is exactly on the nose. Um, and you're right, it, it's few and far between a striker that 
is all about the team and is not necessarily all about getting himself uh, the goals. And yeah, I, I love that. I really, 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 really like Olivier Giroud. So I think that's a fantastic choice. Well, thank you, sir. All right. All right. So whew, wrapping up for the final three. This is this is going to be this is going to be exciting. This is another one that I'm interested to see where we both go. Uh, disappointment of the season. Keeping this as broad as possible. What disappointed you this season the most? It could be a player, could be a game, could be a single moment in time. What were you disappointed in? So many things, Zach. I'm a Newcastle fan. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're going to go with the same answer on this one. I'd be shocked if we did. Um, I went with a player. It's not a Newcastle player. Um, I went with a gentleman who I had very high expectations for after the previous season. And his name is Felipe Anderson for West Ham. I want to give you some okay. statistics to back that up. Okay. 36 games during the 2018-2019 season, nine goals. Looked like a superstar in the making. Looked like find of the century from West Ham was going to be the team that linked it all together for them going into the new season. Pellegrini's the manager. Sky's the limit. Nobody even had him pegged it looking like they might go down. And then he just does nothing. 25 games he plays, so less, 11 less than the previous season, scores one goal, looks completely disinterested, and a shadow of the player of the year he was the previous year. He, to me, was the most disappointing player based on the expectations that I had for him um, that I can think of in the Premier League this past season. Mm. That is, that's, that's fantastic. I wish I could just, I wish I could just retweet everything you just said because that is on the money <laughs> and you're right it, like everything is true though he was so so highly touted going into this season and he i i towards the end of the year there were games where he wasn't even on the squad he wasn't even on the team sheet um yeah i mean hopefully you know you hope that there wasn't something going on in his personal life that held him back but yeah sure. it was nonetheless it was it, abysmal performances by him this season i agree with that i think that's yep. a really good choice I mean, I mean, I don't watch all of the Premier League games, obviously, but I do remember watching the full 90 minutes and just seeing him tear apart Newcastle in the 2018-2019 season, scoring goals, setting up goals, and just thinking this player is like one for the future. An incredible Brazilian player who should be walking into the Brazilian squad? Nah, -uh, not right now. Very, very disappointing season for me. Mm-hmm. I think if I was to pick a player, he would be quite high on my list. However, I did go with uh, a, a non-player choice, and I don't think you're gonna love this one, Adam. But I, I had, to, I had to say it. Uh, the way in which Leicester City collapsed in the second half of this season was wildly disappointing. I think uh, just a team that was firing on all cylinders a team that really kind of reminded you of the the 2015-16 miracle team just playing with oozing with confidence brendan Rodgers in control back in the premier league you know sh showing it to all his haters after being shown the door at liverpool and i i just watching them just completely go flat the second half of the year was really disappointing and again, I've mentioned it before, there, there were a number of injuries to that side. Um, but mm -hmm. Jamie Vardy's goals almost entirely dried up. He, he kind of made that little kick at the end and got the golden boot largely on the, the gap that he had formed the first half of the season. Um, and I, I was just disappointed. 
uh, because I, I do really I do really like watching Leicester play. I think they're an exciting club, and it's always cool to to see a club that has that incredible season uh, reproduce it in some respect, not it be just a blip in the radar. Um, and yeah, was was quite disappointed to see them fall uh, out of Champions League contention for next season. It's one of those things that you think about at the beginning of the season if you'd offered Leicester fifth place of course they would have taken it but it's just the nature in which they were multiple points ahead of Manchester City in second place chasing Liverpool for the title they're never going to catch Liverpool but the fact that they were ahead of Manchester City for a decent amount of time to fall off the way they did I could totally see why why you would pick them I have some honorable mentions Joe Linton I think okay. should, should certainly be yep. an honorable mention there. Not, not a friend uh, of the pod. Not a friend of the pod. Eddie Howe and Bournemouth in general. Um, yeah. and, and then Watford's ownership group. Um, the okay. way the way in which they so desperately fired and brought in coaches through the season. I think uh, very disappointing to see a team that had performed so well in previous seasons in the Premier League fall off so drastically with, with huge investment too in players. Mm-hmm. Uh, honorable mention to the six-month uh, six fall from grace for Maurizio Pochettino. I'll, I'll give an yep. honorable mention to that. I will, I will give an honorable mention uh, to Everton Football Club. I need, I need, to, say, I need to say nothing more. Um, they are just a disappointment of a club. Marco uh, Silva, maybe, but I don't know about the whole club. That's a little harsh. Entire club, except for Carlo Ancelotti. Love Carlo Ancelotti. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'll give one more, let's say, disappointment of the season honorable mention to not enough Glenn Murray. Not enough Glenn Murray in this past season. We we there's, need. There's never. There's no such thing as enough Glenn Murray. Exactly, and we were held so far from any feasible standard of what is even a touch of enough Glenn Murray. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I'd say that those are my honorable mentions. Cool. All right. Well, last two awards are manager and player of the season. We'll we'll start with manager. I feel like we might have very similar answers for these last two categories. I'll kick it off. You can you can take player of the season first. It's got to be Klopp, right? It has to be Klopp, yes. It's Correct. 30 years since they've won a title. He did it so convincingly. Jurgen Klopp, in my opinion, is, is one of the greatest coaches in the world, possibly of all time, just in the way that he gets the team to rally around him. Um, great human being. His... his um, his whole relationship with Adebayo Akinfenwa after Akinfenwa yeah. made a kind of tongue-in-cheek <laughs> remark and he he called Akinfenwa to wish him well. You can just tell the man's just a class act through and through. And um, great great to see Liverpool finally back in, in the silverware in terms of Premier League title. So, Would you say that Klopp, by association, is a friend of the pod because he's a friend of, friend in, of verified friend of the pod, Adebayo Akinfenwa? Zach, he's a friend of a friend of the pod. He's a friend of the friend of the pod. Absolutely. Two degrees of separation to Jurgen like, Klopp. It's like second cousin twice removed. Exactly. No, I think, that, <laughs> yeah. I, I, kind of, I kind of went into this trying to find any reason not to give it to Jurgen Klopp for his first sake of variety. But, I mean, there, there's no way that you, you can't give it to the man. Um, and I know that you can't take last year's results into consideration, but winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League um, in the span of uh, just about a year is 
is pretty remarkable. Um, and yes, the project that he has built with Liverpool and the way in which he's invigorated the city as well has just been phenomenal. So yeah, I, I think the yeah. Jurgen Klopp in every single aspect wins that award. I think the only way you might have given it to anybody else is if Sheffield United have snuck into Europe. Chris mm-hmm. Wilder might have been in with a I shout of it. I agree with that. And, and then the only other honorable mentions I would say, I, I give him huge credit, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Frank Lampard. Yep. To, break top, to break top four um, when there was no transfer budget in the offseason for Frank Lampard last season and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was being touted as one of the first managers to get fired. To me, to me, they massively overperformed on expectations, and um, you expected Liverpool to be there or thereabouts in terms of the title race, not necessarily win it so convincingly. But good shouts for those two. Yeah, I I was gonna say the exact same thing. Lampard gets number three for me in that conversation, um, and then honorable, honorable, honorable mention would be Mikel Arteta. I thought he did a really good job in the mm-hmm. second half of the year, but he has not had enough time to to really be, I think, be in that conversation. Any chance of an honorable mention for Stephen Bruce? Ah, Stephen. <laughs> um, I think that Stephen Bruce just gets pushed out of that category due to, yep. te- I... due, to, due, to due to technicalities and late submission. 13th, po- 13th place in the Premier League. Certainties for relegation when the season started. All in all, not pretty to watch, but effective and, you know, kept us up, so. Oh, I thought you were joking. No, Steve Bruce is in nowhere near that conversation, and I will not entertain any any thought of Steve Bruce being remotely close to manager of the season. I was mostly trying to convince myself. No, I wasn't really there either. But. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, to, to wrap up our award ceremony, um, do you want to talk about why Kevin De Bruyne wins player of the season first, or should I talk about why Kevin I've De Bruyne I've got tons of stats. <laughs> why don't you go first, though, because I took Jurgen Klopp. Um so Kevin De Bruyne wins player of the season unanimously. There's no doubt in anyone's mind. It it really was. Um, I, I think this will go down as one of the greatest individual seasons in Premier League history that we've seen uh, in the 20, what, 27 year history of the Premier League. I, I think the way in which Kevin De Bruyne was able to take the center midfield position for Manchester City to kind of this next level that I don't think we've ever really seen before was quite remarkable. I mean, there were games when Pep would slot him into the number eight, play him almost right in front of the defense. There were games when he was playing as the number 10 um, in in times when David Silva was out. Uh, And then I think the mobility of Kevin De Bruyne is really what what kind of does it for me? You, you'll see him drifting onto the wings. You'll see him, you know, playing right off the shoulder of the striker. I, I just the the level of football IQ that that man has, and his ability to perpetually keep a calm head and always be playing the perfect ball, always be putting in the perfect free kick, whether it be a pass or a shot. Um, I actually wanted to make a honorable honorable mention of goal of the season to his free kick against Chelsea. Uh, when he hit the ball with that mm-hmm. topspin mm-hmm. that I have never seen a free kick be hit like that before. I, I just think that Kevin De Bruyne is everything you want in a modern day midfielder. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that there's no doubt in, in my mind. And I'd love to hear your statistics to back up what I just said. 20 assists for the season. That's the main one, right? Um, that is tying the record that has stood since 2002-2003 season. Um, held by Thierry Henry. So that's the most in a season ever 
alongside Thierry Henry. So just phenomenal. It, it honestly made me think back to like just how good Thierry Henry was. Henry mm-hmm. was a striker, and he had <laughs> yeah. and he had twenty assists. You typically think of assists from midfielders playing it through to the forwards, right? But Henry was world class. I actually saw some banter from Henry towards. Kevin De Bruyne, obviously tongue-in-cheek on his part. He said you can only be considered in the greatest assists um, category when you've scored 24 goals in a season like I did that same year when I got it, and De Bruyne only got 13. That's incredible. Um, 20 assists, 24 goals that season in 2002-2003. So amazing player, Henri. Shout out out to him, of course. But De Bruyne with 20 assists is just... We haven't got that close for 17 years, Zach. It's just unbelievable for him. In my opinion, the best midfielder in the world. Uh, he's he's one of those people that you tune in to match of the day to to watch playing. Um, love watching De Bruyne play. Ne- never really shits the bed, right? We talk um, talk about players in the in the Premier League that don't always perform or are kind of like fleeting in their form and, and and fall off. I don't think I've ever seen a stinker from De Bruyne. He's just so consistent for me. Hmm. Yeah. I- hundred percent on on the nose with that one uh yeah i mean again he he is everything that you could possibly want in a center midfielder um maybe he doesn't have a terribly high defensive work ethic but um i mean when, when you can when you can play a ball in the way that he can like andrea pirlo is a is a midfielder that you'd compare him to uh you know, David Beckham is somebody you could certainly compare him to in some aspects, but mm-hmm. I just think even even when being compared to those two players, De Bruyne has a an element of his game, this element of lethal finishing and and being able to to score a goal like the one he scored against Newcastle. That's the perfect example. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the way he can lift his entire body off the ground and twist in this kind of you know gorgeous artful volley is is something that very few players in any position in the entire world could do uh and yeah i yeah i i cannot say enough about about kevin de Bruyne and how much he he deserves that award i think you'll enjoy my honorable mention though zach and yeah let's get I've into the a, honorable mentions i've been a critic of his in the past but you can't argue with statistics right jordan henderson for me um whoa f- this is yeah. huge. This is I a wanna, break- I wanted to this take is... a I want I wanted to take a breath there to just see your facial reaction. This is when a breakthrough. He's an ex Mackham, and I hate that. I can't stand that an ex Mackham is somebody that I talk about in the conversation for player of the season. But here are the facts. In the space of a year, Liverpool have been champions of Europe, champions of the world, which is stupid. Um, but world club champions and now champions of England and every single trophy that they have won the person that has really been influential in that and the person that's lifted the trophy for them has been Jordan Henderson and I just feel like they're a better team with him in it when he's been out of the team when there's been injuries he's somebody that comes onto the field and just immediately makes a difference for them he lifts the players around him he's a perfect choice for captain he's very understated in in some ways could be very much an underappreciated player of the season as well because a lot of the spotlight at that team goes to the the Mo Salas and the Sadio Mane's and the players like that that are they're you know, the Trent Alexander-Arnolds that are gaining all the headlines, but he just does the grunt work really, really well and ties it all together so well. Um, he'd be my kind of honorable mention for player of the season if we're going to pick one. I love that. I think that I think that Van Dyke is also right alongside his teammate Jordan Henderson on that. Um, 
I mean, just talk, talk about Kevin DeBrona being the perfect comprehensive center midfielder. I'd say that Virgil van Dyke is exactly that for the center of defense. Um, yeah, Van Dyke, I would say, is in that category for honorable mention player of the season. Who else would I put in there? Um, just running through the teams here. Nobody from Manchester United. Nobody from Chelsea. Nobody from Spurs. Nobody from... Maybe Raul Jimenez. Uh, I think that that actually would be a solid shout for like tier three player of the season. I thought mm-hmm. that he... He is excellent at Wolves, and again, as as we've said before, it's a shame that Wolves didn't get into Europe this year. But I think that, um, yeah, he, he's someone. He's someone that would be on the fringe of the fringe for Player of the Season. I like that good out, good outside shot there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Adam. That was that was a that was a good award ceremony. I I was surprised that how much similarity was between us there. You you expected you predicted the opposite, and we. We were we were kind of on the same on the same plane there. I think you know we've we've influenced each other enough at this point after fifty episodes, Zach, that you might expect a little bit of crossover there. So that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, it's a, this kind of like subliminal understanding of what <laughs> of what the other one is thinking. Um, fantastic, great. Well, we're gonna take a a quick commercial break, and then we will come back and get into some transfer news uh, that is going on with premier league club so be right back hi everyone and we are back on the false nines uh so from the award ceremony in the premier league uh to current news of what's going on in the off season we're now going to dive into um some of the transfer rumors and uh the final transfers that have already taken place involving Premier League clubs. So, Adam, I, I think that if we're talking current rumors that haven't been solidified for ones we haven't seen a player hold up a jersey yet, uh, the Kai Hiverts from Bayer Leverkusen to Chelsea has to be the, the biggest name currently being linked with the Premier League club. Yeah, he's a exceptionally talented young player, um, two-footed, somebody I think that could come in and make an immediate impact for Chelsea. I still question, Zach, whether or not they're initially investing in the right places. They didn't have a problem necessarily in that area last season. I would have liked to have seen them initially spend some money on defensive backup and maybe some starters in defense, to be honest. But um, this guy is undoubtedly a great talent. Um, imagine him and Timo Werner in the same team. It's pretty scary. Yeah, I, and that's something I brought up with with Gus over the week. Um, friend of the pod, Gus, um, was you know why why is Chelsea investing all this money up top when that clearly wasn't their problem? And his his somewhat snobbish take uh, was if you have the money to spend, you might as well spend it. So uh, I guess the Chelsea fans are ready <laughs> to you know uh, score a hundred goals and concede a hundred and thirty next season. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I actually read an article today that said that um, they're $20 million short of the valuation for Mm -hmm. for Havertz. So if they have that money to spend, why don't they spend it remains to be seen, right? Whether they whether they do or not. So on that note, there was an article in The Guardian today by Jacob Steinberg and Fabrizio Romano saying, and I quote the latest on Kai Havertz, Chelsea's latest offer of uh, 58.6 million pounds plus 15 million in add-ons falls below Leverkusen's valuation. The Bundesliga side are determined to hold out for 100 
million euros, which is just about, uh, we'll say about 92 million pounds for the highly rated 21-year-old. So I think that Leverkusen is playing this very smartly. I mean, they clearly don't want to lose Havertz. Havertz has said that he is ready to move on. Um, and in, in their minds, you know, on exactly that thinking, if Chelsea has all the money in the world, they might as well hold that for as much money as they could possibly get. Yeah, Havertz turned 21 in June, Zach. He's the youngest ever player to get 50 and 100 starts in the Bundesliga. And he's already a German international and has scored on the German scene. So, like, they're probably right, I would say, to, to hold out for him, right? This is going to be a big payday. I'd be throwing a nice fat sell-on clause in there if I was Leverkusen as well. And what's what's incredible about this is that Chelsea, as you alluded to, has already broken the German transfer record when buying Timo Werner this summer. So <laughs> if Chelsea buys Kai Havertz at anything close to what he's being valued at at the moment, they will have broken the German transfer German to Germany to England transfer record twice in one summer, which is it- a remarkable thing to think about from a Newcastle perspective. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there's like a new scouting system there or something. Like they don't necessarily have a strong link with Germany in the past. You think back, there's always been a lot of great Italian players at Chelsea. Think back to the Gianfranco Zolas, Gianluca Vialli, um, Roberto Di Matteo, players like that. Lots of Italians playing back in the day, but never really that many Germans, I would say, for, for Chelsea. Ah, Adam, I wish you didn't say that because one of the best defenders in Premier League history, Michael Ballack, a German international who played his trade one for Chelsea. Player. One player. That's it. Who else you got? Uh, currently, Antonio Rudiger would be a second, but we don't need to keep going. Uh, there, there are more German players that have played for Chelsea. Ballack, Ballack would be obviously the most successful yeah. of all of them. Sure. Yeah, exactly. I think just historically, though, this is this is a new league i think that chelsea are kind of dipping their toes into in terms of players um they have the money to do it as we've said so remains to be seen if they can get him over the line though i've heard there's a 11th hour bid coming in from bayern munich as well that'd be interesting that would be crazy you know that bayern loves to poach on their domestic neighbors um but from a, a very high money signing to a london club to a bit more of a modest signing to another london club uh pierre emile hoiberg going from southampton to Tottenham Hotspur for about 14 million pounds. Uh, that that was confirmed a couple weeks ago, but have not been a ton of you know big name signings in the Premier League in this short transfer window. Uh, I think Hoiberg is an interesting one because you know Southampton mm-hmm. last season obviously Danny Ings got all of the plaudits and and rightly so, putting up uh, you know a year that not one person in the world could have possibly expected. But Hoiberg has been quietly you know th- that kind of central piece in the midfield for. Uh, a Southampton side that has, you know, flirted with relegation, but is, is seems to be now a comfortable mid-table side. So I think, in, in terms of depth, this is this is a pretty smart signing for for Spurs, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting also to see this is um, this is immediately where. Jose Mourinho has come in and decided he needs to strengthen, right? Jose has come in and he's identified that the defense is not up to par. Um, he wants to bring in somebody that he thinks has Premier League experience. And I think that Heuberg fits the bill. He's still got plenty of years left in him. He's a good player, always has impressed me for Southampton, um, was captain of them for, for quite some time as well. I think he's a difference maker and it'll be a great signing for Spurs. 14 million for me is actually quite a decent deal for him. Yes, I I agree with that. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll see if he if Jose Mourinho kind of keeps lowering down that ladder from defensive midfield where Hoiberg uh, sits to to that defense that did have a number of issues um, 
this season. Now, another signing that I have been, I'm really excited about um, just from a neutral perspective is uh, West Ham solidifying a deal for Tomat Suchek from Slavia Prague. So if you remember, Suchek was on loan at West Ham last season. They have now permanently bought him for 19 million pounds. Um, and again, when, when you talk about certain players sticking out for certain teams. I think with West Ham, you'd immediately say Declan Rice, especially in that uh, center defensive midfield. But I thought Sojcek was as good as Rice in in the latter half of that season. Um, and it makes me ask the question, are they preparing for a possible sale of you know their, their young academy starlet? You've been beating this drum for a while now. Um, I would say I thought he outperformed Declan Rice, mm. certainly on the goal scoring front he did. I would, If you're putting together a post-COVID break, team of the season i think suchek would have a good shot of being in there as a starter um, i like that he, he was he was a a great addition to them in january and i think that it just made natural sense for them to stump up the money to sign him on a full-time basis mm, yeah well so then i i i have to ask you the question do you think that they are resigned to losing rice i mean it seems like the the rice to chelsea rumors have all but fizzled out uh, i haven't heard a ton of uh, recent rumors like him to Manchester United, although now that Manchester's European campaign is over, perhaps those rumors will kind of resurface. But um, if they're able to hold on to Declan Rice, uh, I mean, playing, you assume they're going to play something like a 4-2-3-1 and having Rice and Suchak next to each other for an entire season. I mean, I, I'd be excited if I was a West Ham fan, despite the fact that they almost, you know, fell into the second tier last season. Yeah, it's a fresh start coming up. And I guess to your question, I would say I think that Declan Rice will be at West Ham come the transfer window ending in October. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, with this abbreviated window, it is this kind of funky system. But I, I agree. I think that if West Ham if West Ham have this desire to build and, and try to crack back into the top 10 where they were they were typically found, I'd say, at the beginning of this uh, last decade, then it, it will kind of it will be very important for them to hold on to those those young and exciting uh, players in their squad. Yep, I agree. All right, on to our next one. Interesting one. A gentleman crossing London from Chelsea to Arsenal. Willian's contract expired, and he made an unlikely switch over to Arsenal. What's your take on this one, Zach? I mean, Brazilian boys back together. Willian and David Luiz making the trip uh, on the tube across the city. Uh I mean, this one was interesting because it, in a way, was the opposite of the David Luiz walk to Arsenal in which he had kind of, you know, seen the bottom of his Chelsea career fall out, whereas Willian seemed to have this somewhat of a reemergence this season. And I think with Willian, the difference is he was clearly, you know, in excess, a surplus to, to the resources that they have. Uh, of all positions, Chelsea does not need another right winger. Um, and so I think it made logical sense for them not to give him the rumored three-year deal that he was looking for. But again, yeah, any any time a player moves within London, it, there's always some interest going around that transfer. A little bit of ageism, perhaps, from Frank Lampard. Does he not want anybody under the age of twenty-five at this point? I don't. I don't know if it's ageism. I just think like they they're so stacked on the wings. Like they they truly <laughs> do not. They truly, regardless of how well William played last season, like they truly don't need him anymore. You know, they they yeah. have Callum Hudson Odoi, Christian Pulisic. Havertz can play on the wing. Hakim Ziyech can play on the wing. Uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek can play on the wing. Like they are 
absolutely cooked on both sides of that field. And I think that it was, um, you know, speaking with Gus once again on this, as he is, you know, a, a near and dear Chelsea fan, uh, it, it, he, he kind of said that the man was a great servant to the club, but there was just no real place for him anymore. Yeah. I, I, I think back a, a month or two ago when we had the Newcastle tra- takeover rumors in full flight, he was one of the names that was being touted as a summer signing that we would bring in and would have a little bit of experience to kind of go along with a lot of the young players that they were rumored to be signing. So keeping some kind of like experienced heads in the team. And now here we are. He's headed over to Arsenal. And we're signing Jeff Hendrick. <laughs> Just have Jeff Hendrick. So the Hendrick deal is not completely finished i don't think we've seen him lift the jersey but we we have read today i think it was keith downing reported that um he's undergoing a medical and so pending that jeff hendrick uh the the burnley midfielder um also out of contract will be coming over to newcastle i gotta be honest adam at the beginning of hearing this rumor i was pretty disappointed um but i think that reality you know reality bites and the reality of newcastle is that we need that squad depth and we need any sort of bit players we can get in order to um you know stave off relegation this season and i do think that getting jeff hendricks on a free even if it's not the most inspiring signing is objectively a good addition to the team yeah i think the more i've read about it too the more i've kind of been won over what i'd say about hendrick is it's evident he's not a mercenary it's evident that he is a player that is going to come in and give you 110%. Um, They've done their homework on him as a player. They've done their homework on him as an individual, what he contributes to the dressing room, what he contributes to the team. And sure, he's not going to light the world on fire. He's not going to be as good as some of the players we were linked with earlier in in the season when we thought the takeover was going through. But having somebody come in that they feel like is going to give his all for the team and play for the Newcastle shirt, to me... That, that's that's what we need right now with where our club is we need somebody that's going to come in and and give it that 110 percent and hopefully keep us in the premier league for another season yeah and what well what what is interesting looking at this center of midfield is you know <laughs> there's nothing a newcastle fan hates more than uh to see a, a injured or a player that was out of the squad who is coming back be named as like a new signing however other rumors that we were seeing today in the news is that there has finally been a breakthrough for maddie longstaff to re-sign a new contract with newcastle united it looks like the talks of him going to italy or him uh, potentially going to watford which was swirling around for a bit has kind of dissolved so um, you know, if, if we re-sign Matty Longstaff and then get Jeff Hendrick in the span of a week, that's essentially two additions to the center of midfield, which in my mind, there's nothing more we need to touch in that part of the park. It now comes down to, can we get a left back? Can we get a winger? And ideally, can we get a striker as well? Most importantly, can we get a striker? I think um, that's, that's the big one for me because I don't think our current ones are cutting it. So anyway, I digress. Our last player for transfer news um one i might have enjoyed seeing at newcastle as well adam lalana left liverpool after several years there and went to brighton on a free quite a coup for my boy graham potter at brighton there adam lalana to brighton so on that note i i feel like i already saw this coming but are would you say that brighton is your new second club now that bournemouth are down to the championship <laughs> I think I like Graham Potter more than I like Brighton, the football club. Mm, but That's a good um, answer. I think that he's he's done an awesome job there. And there's some good players there. Neil Mopey had a great season last season. Very astute signing from them to replace Glenn Murray. Um, but I, I think in general, yeah, I'd, I'd lean more towards the, 
um, the manager than the team per se. Yeah, well, Adam Lallana, I think, yeah, a very, very canny signing for Brighton and, and one that, you know, would make it Newcastle fans ask, why weren't we in the running for him? As we are a team quite similar in budget and in a kind of place in the table to Brighton. But Lallana obviously, you know, really made his name playing for Southampton, like many players before and many players after him got poached by Liverpool eventually. Uh, and I think that there are a few stretches where Lallana was starting for Liverpool. I would never say that he was a constant starter for that side. Um, but again, I, I think certainly a, a talented player who, when given an extended run in the first team, can be, you know, a, I wouldn't, I would not say a top five, maybe not even a top 10 center midfielder, but somewhere on the fringe of that. Yeah, he's 32 years old as well. Um, I think Lalana is a talented individual, but again, like Willian, probably in the twilight of his career. So, yeah. Yeah, nonetheless, a good signing for, for Brighton as Hendrick is for Newcastle. So um, transfer news so far, anything more you want to add to that section, Adam? I don't think so. Um, just again, we're, we're going to be well into the season while the transfer window is still open. That's a new thing for us. That hasn't happened for, for several seasons now. So I think that will be quite interesting to see the season start mid-September and then still have a few weeks of the season left to go. Like what if there's a big injury in week one? Uh, teams do have an opportunity still through to push through a deal and, and get some backup in for that. I think that's going to be an interesting nuance to it that we haven't seen for a while. Yeah, that's that's a really, really good point. I mean, my only fear is New, Newcastle can't even manage one thing going on at a time. Imagine them having to, you know, be working transfer deals while managing a Premier League club. It doesn't I don't know if we have the personnel for that at the moment. <laughs> The classic Newcastle manager quote, we just couldn't get him over the line. <laughs> Ooh, we uh, we should uh, we should make some sort of drinking game about that while while the season <laughs> progresses. Every put time it on, it, put it on a T-shirt, Zach. Yeah. Oh, man, that that. Yeah, that is one of the, the hardest things to hear. I think that and like a new signing are the two phrases that <laughs> bounce around the most in, in Newcastle paper mills that piss me off. Yep. Yep. All the free signings and loans. Here here they come. Incoming. Mm, yeah. Ah, oh, geez. Um, okay, so I think that that will really take care of uh, Premier League updates, uh, going through those awards for the season and then the transfer news. Uh, Adam, I, I say let's let's take it a bit bigger to, to Europe. Let's take it to the only thing still going on in the 2019-2020 season, and that is the final of the Europa and Champions League. So the one thing that, you know, that this whole COVID uh, break from football and kind of shaken up season, I think, has provided us that, that has been a positive is the amazing stretch of matches that have occurred in the last two weeks or so. There's been a Europa or Champions League match pretty much every single day for the last 12 to 13 days. Um, mm -hmm. and, and now we're down to just two sides in each tournament. So Europa League will be the first one to play. That'll be Friday, and that's Inter versus Sevilla. Um, Adam, what are your feelings on, on those two sides as, as they come in with quite a, quite a lot of momentum? I think they've both had strong domestic seasons. Inter obviously just missing out on Serie A to Juventus by a point, and then Sevilla actually finding their way back into the Champions League by nature of their fourth place finish in La Liga. So respectively have both had very successful 
seasons domestically, especially when you consider the length and the duration of the Europa League season that they've part- participated in. Kudos to them. I think they've done really, really well to, to get to the final, and they're, they're obviously two good teams. I think this will be a, an interesting battle. Offensively, Inter have a, a great attack. Obviously, Lukaku, one of the, the best strikers in Serie A, if not the best striker in Serie A. Um, and then Sevilla just have such a great grind and team ethic um, and have a really good, solid team that has won more Europa League slash UEFA Cups than anyone in history. I think this one is going to be a really good one to watch. Yeah, I agree. I do think you're seeing two clubs with completely different styles going up against each other. Um, Inter, as you said, really this offensive juggernaut led by Lukaku, who has six goals in five Europa League matches this season. And I feel like with Inter, it is... Uh, it, it is this kind of example of, and we've seen this in, in teams like Barcelona over the years, of the spine of the team being really what drives it forward. So going right down the middle, you have Lukaku at striker. Uh, Lataro Martinez has really, really impressed in the uh, center of attacking midfield. And then defensive midfielder Marcelo Brozovic and finally Diego Godin kind of stapling down that back line. Um, and so right right there, you have that center, center of the park essentially locked down. And what they're able to do there is play a very high press and play very aggressive and attacking style football. So I do, I do think that Inter really does bring that kind of excitement that you'd want to see out of a team, especially in the final of a tournament. Yeah, they're, they're, to your point, a great offensive team. I think it's going to be a good one to watch, contrasting styles. Um, also thinking about pedigree with these two teams, Sevilla have it in the Europa League. Um, five of those I mentioned they've they've won previously. Inter have three, though, to their name. They are no, <laughs> they are no second-class citizens here in terms of the Europa League. They've won three. They've also won three Champions League, so that's something that Sevilla have never really kind of gotten into mm-hmm. really kind of deep in the competition. And so I think this will be a great one. If you, if you had to bet on a prediction here in the game, Zach, how, how do you think this one ends up? Whew, it's it's a tough one. I, I think that Inter's firepower will eventually get them the edge in that. I'm going to say 2-1 Inter, um, although... I, I mean, this is, I, I was telling Adam before our recording tonight that I have recently gotten into uh, small amount sports betting, keeping it really, really conservative. And I will say this is a game that I have no plans on betting on because I really could see it going either way, um, especially with that kind of scrappy counterattacking play that, that Sevilla has. But yeah, I'll say 2-1 Inter. Yeah, I'm actually going to go the opposite way, but with the same score line. I think Sevilla mm. might sneak this one just again. They, they they know how to win in this competition and I think they'll they'll win one final time. Um if we can't have Man United in the final, may as well have a team of Man United rejects in the final. Uh Lukaku, Ashley Young, <laughs> Alexis Sanchez. Um, you know, at least we've got some kind of former Premier League representation there in the final, so Interesting little note on this match, uh, two former national team managers going up against one, one another. Lodipengi mm-hmm. and Conte have both managed mm-hmm. the national team in their respective countries. So, yeah. I thought Conte as well, one of the reasons why I think I'll be rooting for Sevilla in this one was a little bit disrespectful of Shakhtar after that win, just basically saying we destroyed them, played them off the park. Like It's good to big up your team, but I thought it was a little disrespectful of a team that had done so well to get so deep into the competition with way less resources and way less talent than Inter. Okay, I, okay, but to play devil's advocate, would you disagree that they absolutely bossed them and played them off the park? 
I would say that they did, right? I, I would say that they comfortably beat them. Um, they put five past them, right? So um, I just, I don't like managers that, that feel the need to do that. It didn't need saying. It, it went without saying. Like, it was clear that they were the better team and won like that. thought it was a bit classless from Conte. I hope he gets his comeuppance in the final. Oh, wow. That's that's fiery from you, Adam. Are you the type of person that uh, took issue with Padres young starlet Fernando Tatis Jr. swinging away on 3-0 and two nights ago and hitting a grand slam when his team was up six runs? I know nothing of baseball, Zach. Not uh, a lot of what you said just made sense. I was, I, was, I was hoping you picked up on that because that was the perfect comparison. But yeah, I mean, most of our listeners wouldn't have understand that either. So that's, that's fair enough. Yep. Well, um, I will, again, I'm leaning towards Sevilla and that's a big reason why, so. Fair enough, okay. So from from Champions League Junior to Champions League uh, Senior, it's it's a battle of the heavyweights. It's a battle of the big money in the final, although uh, Lyon and RP Leipzig made these kind of Cinderella runs to the semifinals. They were eventually squashed by the big boys. It's PSG against Bayern Munich on Sunday. Uh, this was finalized when Bayern uh, had a comfortable 3-0 win over Lyon today. Um, and man, this this is a mouthwatering fixture, Adam. This is a match that I think a lot of people are going to be tuning into. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great one. There's so much talent on, on both teams. I think we talked about Sevilla Inter being a contrast in styles. I think these two teams have very similar styles. I in that they, they both love to play attacking football. Um, this is a, I believe, a first final for PSG. Certainly haven't won the Champions League before. So they go into it as underdogs um, against Bayern, who have obviously dominated in this tournament in the past, have five total tournament wins. So, I mean, just a mouthwatering prospect, as you said. I'm, I can't wait for Sunday. Yeah, so Bayern, as you mentioned, certainly the, the favored team in both the bookies and the supporters' eyes. Um, currently just offensively running at a, a speed that I think would, would make Liverpool blush their cheeks. 11 goals and two goals, 11 goals scored, two goals allowed in their last two matches. And obviously for Bayern Munich, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention where the bulk of those 11 goals scored came from, the eight to dismantling of legendary Barcelona in that quarterfinal, the biggest knockout loss in Champions League history for any club, essentially tearing apart Barcelona as an organization in 90 minutes. Um, and Bayern Munich really just cooking at, you know, they're, they're playing ruthless, ruthless football. And that's something I love to see. I don't think you can ever really take your foot off the gas pedal. Yeah, exactly. It's that match was just a, a wild one. Um, I think you could probably play that one ten times over, and you wouldn't get the same score scoreline necessarily. Uh, but but again, it just shows that right now Barcelona is not in a good place, not in a good place at all. There's rumors of dressing room unrest. Obviously, Messi said that he wants out. Um, there's rumors that he has too much um, influence in the dressing room as well. So maybe that's a good thing for. For Barcelona to see him go, well, you're shaking your head here. I'd like to see you hear your perspective. He's aging now, Zach. He's getting on. Uh, yeah, so I actually had this argument, or 
alongside uh, Elijah Newsom, uh, my CHN uh, cohort. Uh, him and I had an argument of this similar nature uh, with Brian Nelson, our, our uh, site manager, where Brian was essentially saying, you know, Barcelona needs to get rid of Messi. They need to push him out the door and then uh, they need to essentially just revamp the team. And I was like, all right, hold, hold your horses here. They certainly need to revamp the team. And there, there are a lot of issues there with age. You have uh, Sergio Busquets, Lionel Messi, Arturo Vidal, and Gerard BK, all 33 and older. But I don't think for one second you could ever, ever say that they should push Lionel Messi out the door. I think that for what he's done for that club, he gets to decide when he leaves that club. And I also don't think that he despite, you know, maybe rumors of him having a lot of influence, I don't think he's at all part of the issue. Like, you look at the numbers that he put up this year, he still had over 25 goals and over 20 assists in uh, La Liga in all competitions. It's just, he's still producing at a clip that is not going to hold your team back at all. So, although I think that there are a lot of changes to be made, and Gerard Piquet, after that match, openly said, if I need to go... In order for Barcelona to revamp, I will walk. I don't necessarily think that Messi needs to be pushed at the door with the same emphasis. I think the problem for me is, to come back to this always, he never shows up in the big games. For Argentina, for Barcelona, he was a passenger in that game, Zach. He was carried through that game. There were better Barcelona players on the field than Messi. And when the chips are down and when you need a performance from him to overcome a powerhouse like Bayern Munich, who, to your point, are probably the best team in Europe right now, he stunk it up. How, how do you defend that? I, I just don't think that you can really, the blame really rests on his shoulders when you have a back line that is all over the place. When you have, uh, you know, Frankie Dijon being played in completely the wrong position, when you have... Antoine Griezmann, your record signing sitting on the bench. Like, I don't think the issue is messy. I think the issue is that Barcelona is a horribly constructed club that has just burned money over the last three seasons. But take that take that aside. Defensively, yes, horrible. They didn't score a lot of goals or create a ton of chances either. It was, it was just poor all over the field. And you don't have great expectations of Barcelona's defense because they're not that talented. You do have great expectations of potentially the greatest player in the history of the game to light it up on the big stage. Ronaldo always does it. Messi falls short for me a lot more than Ronaldo does. I think that the fact that we are holding Messi to this standard of being like he him having should have stood up and carried Barcelona through that game just speaks to how good he is as a player. Uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of that responsibility can be put on his shoulders just speaks to how how incredible of a career he's had. And so I, I will agree that, you know, there will come a time in the next few years where he will leave and it is probably getting fairly close to the time that he should leave. But um in our long-winded, unexpected, tangential rant about Barcelona, I think that there are a lot of holes in that club. Yep, it's a rebuilding time for them, just as it is some of the other teams that we've talked about today. So, All right, so PSG that, Bayern. That, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> I know. It's, I guess we feel passionate about that and didn't realize. Yeah. Uh, P- yeah. PSG uh, Bayern, anyway, back to our Champions League final. Zach, going to be an interesting one. Some amazing talent on display. We've talked a little bit about some of the Bayern players, Lewandowski, um, we talked about Thomas Müller as well, um, Kylian Mbappe, <laughs> just just incredible players, right? I think it's going to be really, really, uh, I think it's a high-scoring game. I'm going to go with a 3-2 PSG win for their first Champions League. 
uh, I, I don't think PSG has any hope in the world of winning this Heart match. Heart versus head. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think so at all. I think that PSG has they've stumbled their way to a champions league final they were two minutes uh there were two minutes from getting knocked out by upstart atalanta albeit you know with killian mbappe not in the starting lineup i just think that Bayern is an untouchable force at the moment i mean you mentioned lewandowski and muller serge gnabry scoring the two goals today uh, to put them into the final um i just like they're Goals come from every single position on that field. Uh, you, you know, if you get a penalty, you can get a cheeky uh, Manuel Neuer goal in the middle in the fifty third minute. Like, I just, I just don't see a way in which Bayern loses this game. I, I really don't. I, I think that that's the logical choice, right? But why not go for the upset? I'm gonna go for the underdogs here. Well, I mean, I suppose like there is a case to be made for PSG though. PSG has the most clean sheets in the Champions League this season in seven. They've conceded the fewest goals in the Champions League this season in five. So, if any team has the back line to to try to ward off Bayern Munich, it is Paris Saint Germain. And now that Neymar and Mbappe are back at full health, you do have that attacking firepower that will keep a defense on their heels. So I think I like I'm hoping that this one is a really exciting final. I have it down as 3-1 for Bayern. I think that um despite the attacking talent, both defenses are good enough to to not have this be, you know, a total kind of a, a total firestorm of goals. But um yeah, I just I I see very few ways that Byron loses this match in my mind. Yep. I mean, I, if I were betting on it, I'd probably lean the same direction that you're leaning right now, but we'll say 3-2 PSG and leave it at that. Okay. 3-1 Bayern Munich. Uh, I don't know what how to respond to that because I don't know German. Um, so, all right. No, I know, but Bayern plays in Germany. That oh, I see. You were, you were trying that to come up with some some that, Bayern that, propaganda. Okay, good. I'll now say that I'll edit that out, but there's no way that I'm going to take the time to find that two-second <laughs> clip. Um, uh, all right, Adam, let's uh, let's take one more quick commercial break, and then we will close it out with 10 and 90. All right, welcome back to our last segment on episode 50. We made it, Zach. 50 episodes of the False Nines are almost there. 10 and 90 is our final segment, as always. Very excited to get this out, out of the way because um, I have some stinking questions for you today, Zach. You are going to hate them. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'd like to finish it up today. So if you're ready, please lead it off with your set of five questions for me, sir. There is no better way to celebrate this monumental moment in uh, my my podcasting career than just being lambasted with insane statistical questions from <laughs> e from eras long ago. So I will let you conclude this one, and I will go first. Beautiful. Um, all right. So, Adam, question number one. And this is very, very near and dear to all of our hearts here at Coming Home Newcastle. What club, or which club, has Warren Barton beaten the most times in his career? For Newcastle or just in general? Just dead stop. Somebody who's probably been around the Premier League for a long time. I have two clues for you okay. if you need. Clue I'll number one. I'll throw, oh. I'll throw out a guess first. Everton have been in the Premier League for a long time and haven't always been successful. I'll go with Everton as my first guess before you give me a clue. 
That's a good guess because you know how I feel about lowly Everton. Everton is not correct, though. Okay, go ahead. Give me. I'll take a clue. All right, clue number one, Adam. I found this out today. This team plays in and is named after the cent- the geographically central most city in England. Ooh. Wow, you've completely stumped me. <laughs> how w- how well do you know the layout of of England is the question? Not as well as I thought I did. Evidently, I'll take I'll take clue number two. <laughs> so clue number two is uh, this uh, club and again city falls within the West Midlands region. Okay, but is not Birm- but is not Birmingham. So it's likely to be Villa or West Brom. We'll go with Villa. No, no, the city is not Birmingham. Oh, the city is not Birmingham, but it's in the West Midlands. I see. I don't know. You got me here, Zach. Go ahead. Yeah. Coventry City. Oh, terrible. Really? Warren Barton has defeated Coventry City 11 times in his career. He defeated them on his debut for Newcastle on August the 19th, 1995, a 3-0 win at St. James's Park. Isn't isn't it a lovely circle that that we draw on this on this fiftieth monumental episode of the podcast, <laughs> bringing it all the way back? Fantastic! All right, well, yeah. I stunk that one up, so let's see if I can do better with question two. <laughs> okay, so kind of somewhat of a similar question: um, What three English clubs has Jurgen Klopp beaten the most times in his career as a manager? So three clubs in England that he has defeated the most times. He's devoted, defeated each of them eight times. One of them has to be all, Newcastle, right? And none of them are Newcastle. Ooh. Two are in the Premier League, and one of them is in the Championship. Why don't you just rattle them off, and we'll see if you get it, because there are a lot of clubs to choose from. Well, I don't think it's Everton. Um, I feel like Everton have taken some points off them when they've not expected them to. Uh Let's go with Brighton. Same first letter. Try again. <sighs> Wales Junior. <laughs> oh, Bournemouth. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so that's the championship club you're talking about? Way to rub Correct. salt in the wounds there, bud. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's rough. Okay, uh, so Bournemouth. Who else would we go for? I'm trying to think of logical teams that, that would just struggle against the powerhouse that is Liverpool. Uh, London-based club. London-based club. Let's go with... All right, let's go with somebody who I think it might be. Spurs. I feel like they've got a good record against Spurs. Crystal Palace is the correct answer mm. for London-based club. Okay. And the third the third one is the most surprising of all, and I think that that might give it away to you. So it's a big team. It's not City. It is City? Manchester City. They have beaten eight times as well. Interesting. That's a great statistic. I like that a lot. Yeah, so you go right from, from the top down, from the second best club in in, uh, in England to a, a mid-level side to a team that was just relegated. 0 for 2, Zach. 0 for 2. That that one was near impossible, but uh, so I'll, I'll give you a break. 0 for 1.5. <laughs> um, okay, so third question is not one you can say a wrong answer to because the question is, 
which Bayern Munich player do you think would be the best wingman on a night out at the club? <laughs> and why? And why? Of course. Uh, I would say for me because I'm 38. Okay. Robert Lewandowski because he's also in his 30s. He's married. Okay. He's married. He's got okay. kids. I think he 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 hooked me up with someone I'd want to kind of like meet versus versus a youngster. I'm I'm too old for that shit anymore, Zach. So I'd go with Robert Lewandowski, yeah. and I also like him because I think he's Polish and he stayed true to his country. He could have he he he, he, is, he is Polish. So I'm glad you think he is Polish. <laughs> well, he is Polish. My my point being, he had options. He didn't have to play for the Poles, and I always respect people that play for their international teams. When they don't have to, they had options to play for other national teams. He could have played for Germany, did chose not to. So, credit to him. He is my wingman, both from a relationship standpoint and from a small nation standpoint. Okay, this logic very much so stood up to me. Um, so I like that. Although Poland is considerably larger than than Wales, but not when you look at not when you look point. at the FIFA World Rankings, Zach. Take a look at those rankings, my friend. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I I need to start measuring countries' size by their FIFA World Rankings. That's absolutely <laughs> right. You do when we're as good as we are. So that's true. Uh, up up the the Welsh. Um, okay. So question number four. I'm curious on this one, Adam. Could you name a world class striker, active or retired, that you think is stronger on the ball than Romelu Lukaku? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, stronger on the ball maybe not right now there's nobody that's springing to mind for me I mean like obviously we've talked ad nauseum about Adama Traore and his strength on the ball um, but, not, but not a striker but, not, that, but he's that not a striker that, of... right exactly yeah. and, that, and that's where I'm struggling to because because frame-wise, you don't really necessarily see his kind of frame and build up there up top. Um, I think Lukaku has just been a natural goal scorer basically for, for his whole life. And um, you combine that with the strength that he has out there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fairly good shout. You could make an argument for that for sure. That that goal he scored in the quarterfinals of the Europa League where he literally was dragged down to the ground and he still was able to get the shot off was... yeah. Like I watched, I watched that back a few times because I was just like, "That is remarkable, remarkable strength." I always uh, no, no retired. Good. I always no retired play. <laughs> now, now we're now we're just overlapping. No retired strikers either that you can think of that you'd put in that category. Nobody that I'm thinking of right now. Um, I, I I would just go back to the the five the five goals against Shakhtar Donetsk and the second one that he scored late in the game. That's something I always forget about Lukaku. For as strong on the ball as he is, and I feel like a natural finisher, his pace, blistering his pace. pace for that goal. Like, he just tore apart that defender for the fifth goal. Incredible. Yeah. He he really is the complete striker physically, yeah. uh, without a doubt. Um, and that's uh, being linked with Real Madrid now as a replacement to Benzema, which would be pretty remarkable, um, especially just kind of seeing the ups and downs that his career has had. But, okay, yeah. I was curious if you could think of one back back in the day. Um, Alan Shearer, definitely a strong striker, but I think that in terms of pure brute strength, Lukaku has everyone beat. Strong on the ball, yeah. Shearer was always that person in the 90th minute would hold it up near the corner flag, but like I don't think he holds a candle strength on the ball-wise to Lukaku. 
All right. Okay, cool. All right. And the last question in this one is very fitting from a long winded, uh, heated discussion we just had. How many more seasons do you think Lionel Messi will play for Barcelona and where will he go after? Hmm. Well, I'd love to see him come to the Premier League first and foremost. Um, I don't care which team it is. Obviously, there's been lots of um, rumors about him potentially coming to Manchester City if he does leave. I th- the first part was how many more seasons at Barcelona. He said, "I think he's at. I think he's done. I think I think he'll maybe start the season at Barcelona, but I don't think he'll end this season at Barcelona." Um, that is is a wild wild that's a hot take i like it well he's been there his whole career right and you know he just it's bad times right now i I don't see him ending his career at barcelona so i think he goes before the end of this current season and sure let's take a flyer on it let's say he goes to to city i think he goes back and ends his career at newell's old boys because he's always talked about wanting to do that to go back to argentina to finish it Uh, but yeah sure why doesn't he go play for pep again so you're saying that he would leave in january I'm saying that he, because of the way the season is working, he could leave before the end of this transfer window and seasons could start. I'll bet you $10 that doesn't happen. I mean, that's a pretty outrageous thing that I've just said. So, I mean, Fair enough. Okay. I don't well, know maybe, we'll work, maybe we'll work out odds after, after reporting. Before today. the end of um, 2021, Messi is not at Barcelona. Before the end of next year, he will leave Barcelona. Okay. If you want to take that bet, I'll think about I'll, that. Yeah. I'll, th- I'll think about that one. I'll think about that one. Okay. And then where will he go? You said he'll go to Manchester City. If he leaves, I think he'd go to City and he'd go back to Argentina to end his career. All right. I like it. I like it. Great. You ended on a much stronger note than than you began on that because I, sure I gave did. you some somewhat unfair questions. <laughs> but I, I, I expect nothing less from you here. So, so have at me. Well, Zach, in the spirit of it being our 50th episode and me wanting to pay you all the respect in the world... I've, Thank you, I've, as you should. I've duped you a little bit here. I haven't really prepared anything from a statistical point of view. I've gone with your theme of hypotheticals to give you a nice kind of kind end to our, our oh. 50th landmark episode. Oh, paying homage to the stylistic choosings of, of the creator in to this the, one. To All the right. creator of the plaudits, exactly. <laughs> are, are you ready, sir? Okay. I'm wow, you seem excited, so now I'm excited. I got some fun ones in here. I tried to keep it keep it fun. So first off, will Harry Kane break Alan Shearer's Premier League goal scoring record of two hundred and sixty goals? Yes. Okay. How many do you think he will get? How many does he have right this moment? Um it's uh you said Alan Alan Shearer's is two sixty two sixty how, how many 260 right now i think he's about 40 to 50 ahead of the nearest nearest player to him alan sure um we could okay so he had, so so kane has 143 i will say i mean that, that the question then with kane is does does he ever leave england right mm-hmm. um i think kane hits 300 and then scampers on out okay great if he hits 300 i don't think that'll ever be beaten so credit credit now yeah all right question number two who is the greatest u.s men's national team player of all time and i've got options for you so before you jump in multiple choice multiple choice we've got four options for you so landon donovan okay clint dempsey okay friend of the pod freddie adu friend of the pod or your favorite current player josie altador josie altador i was i was 
It's like, when are you going to say Josie Altador? Um, so those are my options. I can choose no other players. Uh, Landon Donovan, for sure. <laughs> for sure, Landon Donovan. Uh, the, the clutch, talk about clutch performers. Landon Donovan showed up in the big games. Uh, that goal against Algeria will always be one of the most famous U.S. goals of all time. Um, special shout outs would go to... Um, Kobe Jones, the mm-hmm. I believe still the the record uh, appearances for the U.S. national team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Howard definitely gets put in that conversation. Um, and then let's give a let's give a shout to Eric Wynalda as well. That's that's one out of left field. Marcello Balboa, Rapids legend too. Throw him in there. Mar- Marcello Balboa, yeah. I only named Wynalda to appease Warren as they are they are good friends. What about Alexi Lalas? Uh, let's go to the next question. <laughs> All right. I, d- I don't want to speak about my feelings regarding Alexi Lawless <laughs> uh, in, a, in, in a family program. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right. Question number three. Who is the best manager in the world right now outside of the Premier League? Hmm. Julian Na- Nagelsmann. Okay. You want to yeah. back it up with I mean, why? Sh- sure. Yeah. I, I think that um, what he has done with RB Leipzig uh, is fairly remarkable. Um, obviously, Leipzig is kind of built on a, a pretty high mountain of cash, but uh, to be 33 years old, uh, younger than both Lionel Messi and Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo, to be 33 years old and to bring a team to the semifinal of the uh, the Champions League, especially playing your last two games in the Champions League, or your last game in the Champions League. No, sorry, your last two games in the Champions League without uh, your best player in Timo Werner, I think is outstanding. Um, I think that Nagelsmann is on a lot of people's shortlists for um, you know the next manager to be sought after by a big club when they when they fire whoever their current manager is. Um, I think with Leipzig, he just he he has built a team that can really adapt to any situation and has the ability to actually change formations on the fly, which is something that might be completely revolutionary. I don't know of any other manager who has built a team that can alter their own formation without any instructions in the middle of a game. And I just, I, I really, really think he's the next like Pep Guardiola type type manager. Yeah, you've got me sold. I, I love his story as well. It's, it's great to see those Cinderella stories of players that, you know, had had aspirations and goals themselves, had a career-ending injury, and didn't let it kind of drop their head too much so that he didn't keep their love for the game going, right? So he's he's younger than some of the players in the squad um, at 33 years old, which is remarkable. It's very rare that you see that. So kudos to him. Great season for RB Leipzig. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but lot, lot, only, only up to go for him. I'm excited to watch him continue. Yep. All right, so question number four. Will Marcelo Bielsa win a manager of the month award in the premier league next season gotta say yes right you have to (laughs) you have to have to go yes on that um i think he will i think leeds will have like uh, probably have like a good november i could see them having a good november and uh maybe maybe going undefeated but like mainly on draws maybe they'll get like a draw against chelsea or something and a draw against spurs um yeah, I, I like that. I like that, chat. Well, first season, or f- sorry, first game rumor is that they're going to be playing at home Allen Road against Newcastle. So 
maybe we'll give it to them for September because there's a guaranteed three points right there for them. That is, wow, Adam, you are cynical today. Um, yeah, I, I do think that he will win a manager of the, the month award. I like that. Do not do not forget our loss at Norwich, their first game back in the Premier League, first home game back in the Premier League. Timo Pukki, that might have been his best game of the season. Yeah, it was. Um, we all thought he was going to be the next big thing, but still at Norwich right now. I, I most certainly did not uh, think he was going <laughs> to ever pan out. <laughs> still better than any strikers on the Newcastle roster right now, my friend. Fact, yep, fact, yep. or any pseudo strikers. Yep. True. All right, so your last question before we send you away with a Walsh word, as always. This one's a bit dramatic, Zach. You ready? Your life is on the line. The player you choose needs to be one of the two that has the highest conversion rates for penalty kicks. I will give you these players. In in the Premier League? In Premier League. Um, basically, players that have played in the Premier League, past or present, and you have okay. to pick one of them, and he needs to be one of the top two percentage conversion rates for penalties all these guys are great penalty takers are you ready your life is oh, you're gonna give me options i'm gonna tell, okay, I'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you four <laughs> players you gotta pick one and he's gotta be one of the top two your life is uh, on the line zach frank lampard matt Letitia, alan shearer bruno fernandez I've I've a couple gripes with that, but I will answer the question. I will tell you that in their careers, even with obviously the only current player being Bruno Fernandez, all of them have taken more than twenty five penalties in their professional careers. So there's a decent subset of penalties to choose from, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, I, I have to go Alan Shearer. I, I have to go Alan Shearer because I read some statistic of, you know, that, what, he, he scored, he, War Allen scored like 100 goals from the penalty spot in his Premier League career or something ridiculous like that. He he must be it. Well, Zach, I hate to tell you, you died on, oh. you died on the 50th episode of the oh. False Nines because oh. Alan Shearer actually has the worst conversion rate of those no. four players. Alan Shearer has taken 67 penalties in his career and scored 56. So his conversion rate's 84%. Third in that list, Frank Lampard has taken 50, scored 43, 86%. Bruno Fernandez has taken 28 penalties, has only ever missed two. 26 of 28 gets him at 93%. And really, uh, it, it, they, they would say probably, arguably, the greatest penalty taker of all time certainly in the premier league matt Letitia, southampton back in the day um 48 out of 49 in his 16 year premier league career 98 percent from the spot only ever missed one that is remarkable yep that is incredible i i would say that bruno fernandez should not be in that conversation having played four months in the <laughs> premier league but the point remains, I, I got it wrong regardless. I wanted to just tie in somebody that was actually currently in the Premier League and he was the best. I wanted to pick somebody that you thought was going to be a really good penalty taker and he's he's probably one of the best in the league right now. Mm-hmm. So I wonder who else would be up there that is more recent. Maybe Jermaine Defoe. I feel like he was pretty good from the spot. Well, Paul Pogba's uh, missed more than any Premier League player. It's funny to have him. Is that pull, true? Yeah. 
have him playing alongside Bruno Fernandes. I did some penalty kick research. I assume as much. Yep. Um, wow, that's that's that was a good one. Okay. Man, I I can't believe I can't believe Alan let me down there. I know. But, yep. You know, shafted so by, shafted by Newcastle Zach just like every day of our lives. Yeah. Again, again, we 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 are able to wrap up the 50th episode with a fact that has run run concurrent through every single recording we've ever done so that's fair that's true that's fair enough that's true all right we'll wrap it up then with a uh, welsh well two words for you the words are p-u-m-d-e-g p-u-m-d-e-g pumdush pumdush is incorrect yeah it's pim dag okay. Pim dig. Pim dig. Pim okay. is the Welsh word for five. Dig is the Welsh word for ten. And when you put those two words together, what do you get, Zach? You get 50. You 510. Do, <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was, that was good. That was good. Well, I, I appreciate those questions. Those were fun ones. Yeah, I thought you'd enjoy a little bit of hypotheticals. I don't give you enough of those. Try and kill you on the statistics when i can that's true all right well i guess to, to close out this episode uh some some thanks of my own just thank you to everybody who uh has listened to this podcast from you know my my starts doing it alone in my bedroom about two years ago um and getting two to at best five listens per episode on my free SoundCloud account that had zero followers. Um, thank you to Gus, the, the the man who helped launch this podcast with me. Thank you to our numerous friends of the pod. Um, I think today of all days, we have to thank Adebayo Akinfenwa, um, a longtime friend in the pod who finally made his debut appearance on this episode. Thank you to Freddie Adu, of course. Thank you to all the lads at uh, Coming Home Newcastle for putting us on the platform, getting us some more outreach. Um, thank you to all the folks who listen. And finally, thank you to you, Adam, thank for sitting down with me every couple of weeks. Thank you to you, Zach. You do an awesome job. It's always a pleasure to be on the pod with you. Um, couldn't do the hosting gig as well as you, so I'm glad that you so poetically tie it all together. Nice job, bud. Yeah, it's it's you know one man is nothing without the other, so the the feeling goes both ways. But uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks, as per usual. The season coming up oh so quickly. Uh, we'll be previewing the next season, uh, doing some crossover episodes with the CHN Radio lads. So we'll have to put our differences aside at least for an hour or so. Um, and yeah, really, really excited for the next season and to continue to grow. Me too. I had no idea that Adebayo Akinfenwa knew Greg and Elijah as well. That's a surprise for me. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, just connections that we all have small, surprise sm- one another. Small world here in SB Nation land, so. It's true, <laughs> it's true. Um, but that's the way it goes. Um, all right, Adam, until next time. Footy. Footy.